Welcome to the VMware Multi-Cloud Podcast. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my co-host, David Jasso. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. Yeah, that's good. That's good. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about cloud is personal. And on the show, we have Robin Quirin. Uh, Robin is the global lead for VMware's cloud technology practice. Robin, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Thank you. David, why don't you uh, take uh, take us through what Robin, uh, how Robin is here and what he does. Hey, Robin. Uh, good to see you today. Hey, uh, you. why don't you tell us about what you've been doing? I know, um, you know, kind of what the role is, but also just this great workshop around cloud is personal and customers you've been out talking to. We're just looking for some color on sort of, you know, the background for the, the show we're doing today. Okay. So in this job, I meet with customers about half the time. And in my work with customers, we spend time doing strategy work. And some of it's forward-looking. Some of it's based on what are you going to do today and do it better? And obviously around cloud strategy. Uh, I work with a team of people that are all in this role. We're part of VMware uh, in the product teams really want to make sure that our customers are successful both with what they own and what they might be doing in the future. I have a, a strange background. I've done consulting. I've worked in a service provider. And so taking that mix of experience, which is very similar to the other people on the team who have worked in enterprise organizations, uh, technology-focused startups, taking that depth of experience and helping our customers both navigate the VMware offering but also what's happening in uh, different cloud providers uh, and in the industry at large. I know you've been out, you know, you and I've talked about this before, talking to customers and um, with a specific workshop, you know, and you've called it Cloud is Personal. I, I love the title. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about sort of, you know, where that comes from, that notion Cloud is Personal. Not the full story. We're going to get into that. Just sort of yeah. that, just it's intriguing. So um, what's what's the story behind that? Uh, a lot of the teams that we're talking to have their roots in traditional IT. So they're, you know, racking and stacking, build servers, hosting applications. And what's happened is the industry has made, obviously, a very major shift in the last 10 years. Uh, cloud started by solving a problem of availability. It's kind of like that issue, you know, everyone loves to hate the phone company. Well, they also love to hate the IT team. Speaking was always between a rock and a hard place. They were being asked to do something that wouldn't break corporate policy or cost or availability or backup or security. And the developers really wanted to go quickly. And so cloud off uh, 12, 13 years ago. And what's changing now and why I say uh, where the cloud is personal perspective is there are different stakeholders more than just IT or just the developers. These other stakeholders might be the line of business, could be the finance teams, even the sales organization. They all have their own needs, their own perspective of what they should get out of the cloud. Uh, and the funny thing is personal and the whole cloud is story. The reason that came up, we would do these workshops with customers, people in the room, and we're talking about cloud strategy. And you'd, you'd have, you know, some IT guys, you would have some tech support, uh, an executive, developers, uh, maybe the app owner, and everyone had a different definition of what the cloud was. I mean, cloud's this umbrella term that really means 
solve the problem in the mind of the audience, meaning an individual, unique individual, if they're having an issue with, you know, getting access to or developing or securing things, they've always looked at cloud from the perspective of what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? And so cloud is personal is recognizing that cloud isn't just a place where we put a workload. It's actually tied to the outcomes that are different for each one of those stakeholders. And that came out of doing strategy sessions with customers where they're struggling to build a cloud strategy that would be relevant for more than just the IT group or just the developer. Oh, I like that idea that you're really thinking about what does this mean to all the individuals that have to interact with the cloud. Um, there's another idea that's really at the heart of what you're what you're talking about also as and I've had the the uh, privilege of actually I also love this idea and it feels very much to me like a return to the past but it's this notion that cloud is an operating model well and um, you know I kind of I've always kind of oriented myself to that idea and kind of goes back to NIST and you know when they laid out what a cloud is and talking about the ideas that you know on-demand self-service and you know broad network access resource pooling rapid you know elasticity and concepts of that measured services um, you're really advocating a return to that, right? I think that there's a notion that you have to think about it as an operating model versus um, this idea that it's uh, a destination. Maybe you can talk a bit about sort of that that operating model okay. concept, but also this notion that that years or so, it's almost been a shorthand like cloud is a destination. Maybe you talk about what that what that's all about. Okay, I I was on a plane about eight years ago. And I buy a lot, but I, I'm not so senior at VMware that I get to ride business class. And I was bumped up to business class. And, I, you know, you're, we're waiting on the tarmac, and there's another gentleman who is clearly your executive at a company. We end up talking about what we do. And it was interesting. He found out I worked in cloud. And so he started, oh, the, the problems he thought cloud would solve. And it reflected that era from a, a business executive's perspective. Um, one of the stories that I tell is most executives think of the cloud as being a feeling. And what I mean by that is if you think of all the emojis of hard, easy, expensive, scary, they've boiled down what the cloud is to a very emotional definition. And many executives just thought they could put their workloads in the cloud and that would solve the problem would just make all their IT headaches go away, whether that was cost or operational expenses or just the unknown of what the future will, uh, will bring. And everyone's slowly figuring out that, well, that's part of the benefit. Yes, you could run something in the cloud. I mean, cloud is a destination. I don't really have thing. You might consolidate data centers or there's only services that you could get in AWS, you can't get them anywhere else. But it's not the whole story. Uh, and as I've talked to our customers in these sessions, what we've realized is the organizations that are most successful, uh, the ones that have operationalized for cloud, it's not about operationalizing for a specific endpoint. It's about oper even the lines of business, the developers to build out centers of innovation or being more responsive or uh, enabling their culture to be more embracing new tools, having a high level of visibility. 
So you can be flexible, you can be agile, you can be cost effective. All those elements of the advantages of Go are not uh, just bound up in the destination. It's in the operating models, how your organization works as a team, how it uh, embraces technology and makes it part of both the culture and the intellectual property of a given company. And as we've pressed into that and did some dig with customers that are really good at this, we found that there was a lot we could actually with our other customers that still had their roots in being very focused as an IT organization and they would buy IT tools and they're just, you know, incrementally developing. Instead of saying, well, if cloud's an operating model, well, we have a place in this. This is something where we can make a difference. Uh, I have, you know, I've worked with teams before. We have people with 20 years of experience. We have people with two years of experience. How do we leverage that talent instead of just having a simplistic idea that if I put my workload in the public cloud, it'll solve all my problems. It just creates different problems. You talked about this idea of destination, you know, which is like, was like, you start off with this concept of, you know, there are operating characteristics, but then you, you wind up with something like Amazon and it just becomes very easy to use an operating model from a destination because you're like, hey, all those things I want, I can get from Amazon, right? I can go to Amazon or Azure, and that gives me a very easy way to think about that up. It's just instantiated within someone like AWS. And the problem, I think, you know, we don't have talked about this, that as you start to then have to go beyond that, right? And you have needs that can't be satisfied by a single cloud provider, you have to auto kind of revert back to this idea of an operating model because it needs to yeah. be something that can span more than one environment, right? I think that's uh, some of the things we talked about. Nothing caught as a destination, it's just as you mature, it's, it just doesn't hold up as well. I, I, I think about cloud operating model in two ways. The first one is internalizing the innovation, the intellectual property, the competitive advantage of being like a cloud or operating as a team that leverages cloud technologies, whether it's in a public cloud or a private cloud environment. The other way to think about it though is uh, we use in the second through these concepts, we talk about the mashup cloud and that every enterprise has a mashup cloud. Uh, and well, what do I mean by that? Every enterprise organization often will have a data center with you know, big classical apps in it, like SAP, Oracle, Microsoft. And those apps are unlikely to move outside of those data centers. They've spent a lot of money building out infrastructure and tooling to support that. But they might have a mobile tier, born Azure, AWS. They may have third-party systems that they're dependent on that are like transactional systems. They could have analytics running and they end up having to operationalize for multiple cloud environments anyways. That mashup cloud problem, I have not met a company outside of the heavily regulated uh, industries or um, uh, the security departments in the different governments. Most enterprises have that mashup cloud problem. So you've got two drivers. On one hand, you want to internalize the competitive advantage. You, that cloud provides. You don't want to just outsource it to an endpoint. So you need to build out that culture and know-how around cloud, how it supports your business. But on the other hand, you have a mash most cloud today, multiple endpoints, multiple services, multiple technologies, and we need to be able to operationalize for that as well. So it's the combination of the thinking on 
cloud as an operating model. Yeah, so you basically need something that work in a mashup cloud environment, right? So I think um, one of the challenges with cloud as a destination, most companies have more than one destination because different teams have different clouds. And so then you have, you know, quite because the gap, right? You you kind of wind up with a new version of yesterday's problem, which is, you know, historically the wrap on IT was, you know, everybody's working in their own silos. But if you start to have multiple clouds, I think you sort of replicate the problem at just a different level of scale, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I used to put up this slide in our presentations and we point out all the net new endpoints in the public cloud, you know, Azure you know, GCP, AWS, IBM Cloud, and then their private cloud environments. And we'd point out that, you know, these additional silos, these endpoints create separate operational cultures and practices. And there's different technologies you have to learn. Uh, there's risks that are unique to each environment. And I put up this slide in front of customers and they go, yeah, that's true. We, but we only have 10% of our workloads in the public cloud, maybe 15%. But we already have that silo problem inside our organization, the compute team, the network team, the storage team, the security team, the service management team. Uh, and then we have a completely separate environment for physical. Uh, and then we have different data centers that we're, so we actually have, you know, the Hitachi storage team, the NetApp storage team, the EMC team. And they're like, we have that silo problem already. Uh, the addition of the public cloud has just made it worse. Every bad decision we made organizationally in the private cloud just is exp exponentially uh, more difficult to manage in the public cloud. So cloud as an operating model uh, has a benefit for organizations, even if they're barely in the public cloud. This is, this is about taking the best of that culture and technology and applying it to both the data center IT organization, as well as a pure public cloud app that was born in the public cloud and may stay cool. there. So it sounds like if we start to we go back the characteristics of what cloud was about, which, you know, never said, hey, it's about a specific environment. It's about a, a set of things you do. Um, but it sounds like, you know, that that might not be that easy, right? You know, it's like, how, do you wind up having to stitch this all together? Is, you know, is it a bunch of glue code you got to create? Like, how do you start to reinstantiate that notion that cloud is an operating model? Okay. I, we, uh, we used to approach this um, in a very labor intensive way. So say seven years ago, and you had a cloud initiative we're trying to solve the initial pain points. Why did people initially go to cloud 10 years ago? Well, they're busy waiting for resources. They, they wanted to just stand up something right away and try it, or uh, the IT organization wasn't really responsive, or they're waiting to buy hardware. The initial cloud initiatives seven years ago were very much focused on self-service. Infrastructure as a service. I just need to get a, a virtual machine or a database and that's good enough, I can just get going. What's changed, the landscape has become much more complex than that. Uh, standing up a cloud offering, even in your own data center, needs to have a few additional things. So, you know, API-based provisioning, uh, infrastructure as code, or even policy as code. And in the early days of trying to compete with a public cloud environment or build a cloud operating model, uh, the IT teams would struggle because they're still running all the existing apps that they always had. 
and they tr- had this ambition to function as a public cloud style. Platforms weren't really there yet. Uh, VMware had a vision that came out, say, four years ago. We're talking about any cloud, any app, any device securely provisioned and managed. Some of the audience might be familiar with that. When I first heard that uh, four years ago, I was not convinced. I was like, this is this is a dream. Like, it sounds great. I'd have an incredible, but how is this feasible? I mean, five years ago, VMware wasn't even really good at um, networking. It was student, still new to us. We're good at networking a VM, but we weren't networking hardware or public clouds or containers or anything like that. And so we had a lot of technical debt in, in VMware's platform that had to be paid off. So now that a lot of that debt has been addressed, we can do API-based provisioning and API-based management. We can use infrastructure as code, can use software-defined networking across a range of endpoints from edge, public cloud, all that's made some really interesting opportunities uh, much. So when we look at the VMware platform, so I'm, I'm including things like vRealize, Cloud Health, NSX, even Cloud Foundation, there's some hidden functionality in those tools that we end up calling out to customers that they often don't know. Every one of these tools, so I'll use networking as an example. We have a, an offering called uh, vRealize Network Insight. It'll go out and discover the applications you have running today in your data center. Uh, you can run it. Uh, and this isn't just about what's running in vSphere. It'll talk to a physical checkpoint fire or physical uh, network switch, uh, a router, and it will discover how applications behave over the network. So that discovery functionality isn't just about where does the traffic go. It actually goes into things like, well, which rule-based entries you use on the firewall? It's a classic problem. Back in the day, my one of my earliest uh, security certifications was in Checkpoint. And we'd go into these large customers and we would do an analysis on their Checkpoint firewall, for instance. And there'd be like 4,000 rule-based entries. 4,000. We're like, why do you have so many rule-based entry firewall? This is source and destination port, uh, you know, access control lists, you know, which network can it traverse, VLANs, all that sort of thing. And they're like, well, we probably don't need even percent of those 4,000 rules, but we never change them because we don't know what they do. And this is a key uh, issue. If you're trying to go to a cloud operating model where you can both build out uh, a practice that provides competitive advantage to your organization or drives cost savings even, and you have a mashup cloud problem where you have all these different endpoints and applications mixed together and you're responsible for them, it's very difficult to credibly say you have a cloud operating model if you already have. And so we have discovery functionality baked into the platform. So we can use something like Network Insight. It'll discover how your apps behave. We can use vRealize Operations. It'll discover where your apps are in the infrastructure and all the critical path of key components in the infrastructure, you know, storage, compute, network, OS. You can see exactly how those apps are being run in the environment. And that discovery functionality puts you in a control position that most IT organizations never really had before. If I know what I have, I'm in a position to simplify the policies and manage consistently. Now, uh, my best example on this is infrastructure as code. We 
found that most organizations weren't really using cloud operating model technologies like infrastructure's code, not because they couldn't get the, the um, like the open source versions, but they couldn't make decisions on all those existing thousands of applications had. And so it's that initial phase of discovery where the platform makes a big difference uh, compared to where we were even three or four years ago. So that was a long explanation, but I think it's the critical one of where to start, right. being so, able to discover what you have. So you're talking about the notion of a platform, introducing an operating model. This has to work across multiple clouds, right? Because it's sort of like sort of the nature of most enterprises today is that they have multiple clouds and they serve very specific purposes. And that's so they're, they're not like looking to move away from that. Um, when you talk about a platform, um, I know there are some key areas of focus for it, right? We've thought you and I've talked about it before. Maybe you can kind of just sort of build out that platform a bit in terms of what things are and, and also help us keep in mind that there, you know, these are things that would, um, these kinds of capabilities that have to function across multiple clouds. So are you, are you thinking about thinking how our platform self-driving self driving operations okay, and service ops and app ops as sort of the, the big major components of this platform, basically. Okay. Well, if you, if you were going to boil down a cloud operating model, we have three main stakeholders. There's the infrastructure team, there's the service management team or the cloud team. And then there's the application people. So infrastructure, cloud, apps. Well, at the infrastructure level, why have data center teams struggled to provide a cloud experience? Uh, like I wouldn't say across the board, classical IT organizations are known as being innovative cloud teams. The public cloud has an advantage. Uh, I mean, I asked this question in one question, you know, why are public clouds so successful? What, what are they doing right? And someone said, well, they know what the future is. The public cloud providers know what they need to buy three months, nine months, maybe even the platform in a public cloud like GCP gives the operations team, even the hardware or infrastructure teams, visibility to the performance curves in advance. So I can see how an application may end up suffering in the future if I don't make a change. The platform will tell them what procurement decisions need to be made, and it gives them insight on customer trends. So how do we provide that type of benefit and that advantage to a classical IT organization that may have a private cloud, a data center, uh, maybe even a hybrid cloud? Well, that's what self-driving ops is about, where we use products like Vrealize uh, Operations or Cloud Health to give the, the IT organization or the data center team those type of platform advantages that the currently has that allows them to see the future and get the benefit of platform, tell a story, you know, back in the day, you know, I'm older than I look, uh, 20 years ago when I was doing IT, if I came in the morning and I grabbed my coffee and I, I you know, I, I sit down and I'm, I'm looking at the screen, what am I going to do today? And I'm completely in re reactive mode very event driven model you know what's in the windows event viewer what's vcenter saying should i add memory should i restart a server should i phone up finance and ask them to give me more money because i'm running out of storage all reaction and we got to a second mode this is maybe seven years ago where vmware and other players in the industry 
history. So instead of an event-driven model, we, this data-driven model meant products. I'd sit down on Monday morning and I would be guided through the data to a potential action that I might take. You know, add capacity, troubleshoot, add memory, reboot a server, investigate a potential future problem. And it was better than the old model. And if I took one of those actions, I could feel good about myself because, well, I had the data to prove why I took that action. But it was all very dependent on me being incredibly well-educated and skilled at using that platform. VMware and other players have moved on. In VMware's operations platform today, if I came in Monday morning with my mug of coffee, instead of being presented with a bunch of data or worse yet, event or log views, I'm being presented with a bunch of actions that I should likely take based on the platform recommendations. So the platform is investigating performance and cost and capacity. The platform is helping me decide what type of procurement I may need to uh, do in order to address apps and storage. The platform is guiding me through troubleshooting uh, methodologies or root cause analysis. And that's really the, the self-driving experience that we've been building for some time. So that's a game changer. Uh, but I've only talked to one of three layers. Yeah, so can I, can I just, say something just, to be there? I <laughs> want to re, re, um, um, just kind of reinforce something there. So this self-driving ops really, and again, anticipates <laughs> that you have this sort of environment where there's a mashup cloud, right? You've got multiple clouds and you probably, comes because almost everybody does have their own, own part of that. And it gives you the ability to sort of equalize everything so you can have the same public cloud and sort of bring everything up to that same level in terms of you know sort of establishing that baseline for the the you know the operational piece of this right because i think i think historically that's been a big gap right it's like you know the public clouds have all kinds of automation and you can get this insight into what's happening on the lower levels but you can't really do that on the private cloud it was a lot harder. So self-driving ops kind of brings everything up to the same level. Because that's what I hear you saying, but maybe I'm missing something. I agree. I, I one of the stories that I tell on this, and it's rare that uh, people don't have a similar experience. Everyone who's worked in IT has gotten the phone call where the app owner says, "You know, hey, Robin, uh, my favorite app. It appears slow. Prove to me it's not your fault." And they always, they spend about 20, 30% of their time dealing with these phone calls where they have to prove innocence. So why is it like that? Well, the app owner thinks, well, if I just had this in the public cloud and I had a dashboard and I could go look for myself and it would show me what's happening in my app, I wouldn't have to get on the phone and get into how to diagnose this. The app, every app owner has had the issue where, you know, they suspect something's wrong. And it turns out it act, something actually was wrong, but they waited for a day and a half to get to a senior engineer who could solve their problem. And then the senior engineer, was, I, I got to go, I'm on vacation, you know, uh, starting at 4.30 today. And then the app owner has to start all over again. And it's problems like that for the app owner, they have the perception their experience would be very different than public cloud. In self-driving ops, what we do is simple things that you, an experience you could ex reasonably expect in the public cloud, you can actually have in the hybrid or private cloud where the app owner has a dashboard that gives them meaningful uh, performance statistics on their application. And that's just sent to them 
proactively before there's ever an issue. The teams that are working an issue when there is one, they actually have a shared troubleshooting workbench. So even if the senior engineer goes on vacation at 4.30, you know, the platform's guiding them through the root cause analysis, all their good work is shared to someone else aspects of the problem they've worked to that point and it's functionality like that that really is game changing to give the app owner a public cloud style experience regardless of whether that workload is living in the public cloud hybrid or private so we're, we're drawing um, out this view of this platforms people with this concept of mashup clouds which is basically just multiple clouds that have to work together in some Fashion. Um, this is radio, so we don't have slides. So, uh, sort of the foundational element here is self-driving ops. What are the? You, we talked about there were two other layers to this. Maybe you can hit on the next two. So, self-driving ops is for the infrastructure team. Uh, self-service operations is for the cloud team. So, if I'm a director of cloud, and it's my job to uh, manage my cloud footprint, whether it's in the data center or in the public cloud, wherever my mashup cloud endpoints are. Any cloud director or leader, they wanna do two things. They want to enable consumption. They don't wanna be an obstacle. Uh, they want to let the lines of business and developers get to the critical access uh, resources they need. So they want to enable consumption, but they also need to maintain control policy on cost or performance or fault domains, uh, tiers, geography, they still need to maintain even, control. Even providers, things. right? In some cases you might Correct. want to do AWS, other cases Azure. Yeah, that policy may guide where a workload goes depending on type of workload it is, what type of data, whether it's in staging or testing or even in production. So it, the cloud owner, being able to enable consumption but maintain control, those two things remain in conflict. They're just, it's always difficult to manage. Self-service operations is about using uh, tools, again, like vRealize Automation or Cloud Health or even Tanzu to give the lines of business and the developers a direct service experience. And not just a shopping cart where you get some VMs, actually a self-service experience for native cloud services, Kubernetes, a full dedicated environment, and being able to adhere to the appropriate policy regime around you know, cost, uh, workload domain, all the things we listed earlier, but giving that direct access, that experience. And that's one of the major reasons the IT organization and the controls that they were responsible for maintaining, the gov cost or security or privacy, those IT organizations got so much work to be able to adhere to those policies. So self-service operations fundamentally is giving a public cloud style experience, regardless of what the endpoint or application workload looks right. like. Uh, and we've, three, four years ago, we could only do that for VM as a service. We can do it for native cloud services like RDS, Route 53, Azure SQL. We can do it for Kubernetes. We can also obviously do it for VMs, OSs, apps, networks, storage. That's a big change. And I think it's one of the most significant so the changes. Platform capabilities you can get on any public cloud anywhere, right? So it's like in the private cloud and, you know, but also any number of that experience as well, right? So it's like the same experience. Yeah. It's not different on Azure than it is on AWS. It's really sort of, you know, 
you know, those experiences already were available, but sort of unifying how they're how they're received across this idea of this mashup cloud or multiple clouds. Yeah. Um, when I, when I renew in my insurance, I go to my broker and they guide me towards the best deal. But if I really want to use Lloyd's of London or um, Fidelity or whatever, I can still choose that. So brokerage is about providing choice and recommendations to match the policy needs of the customer. And we, we used brokerage in our cloud strategies as a term for a long time. But again, the platform wasn't really there yet five years ago to pull all that off. Uh, and we've paid off the technical debt in order to do that. If I have policies that are unique to my organization, I can reflect them in my deployment methodology across multiple cloud endpoints without having to start over every single time. Even if most of my workloads go to the public cloud or most of them go to the mashup cloud, but I'm crafting policy once, and so the consumption experience is so much easier and tied to, you know, the way my company operates. You know, if I, everything needs to be encrypted policy, the data might run in Azure as an endpoint, but I mentioned uh, needs and policies. I'm not breaking every time I introduce another endpoint. Cool. And, uh, and then one last here. Oh, go ahead, Eric. Hey, David, I'm, I'm just going to jump in. Eric. Eric. One of the things I've noticed running, uh, we run a bunch of apps for VMware uh, for social. Uh, one of the things that we're running into is SaaS, SaaS services they were acquiring, we're starting to consume them through REST APIs, which then have dependencies on on-prem apps. So when you talk about uh, a mashup and cloud, are SaaS services provided by other cloud providers actually starting to become something that you have to worry about uh, how to manage all this because we we engage with IT and we we definitely get you know IT struggle how to determine what the characteristics are for my apps how to manage those apps and we don't manage the app itself the vendor we purchase the app but the rest APIs that we're consuming the pathways to those APIs and you know, keeping that app app up running which then we have a dependency on our app that we're building to consume those APIs. So it, it kind of gets into them. I'm wondering, the real question is, does SaaS services end up as endpoints in this, in this, um, in this mashup? I, I always assume that uh, if it's in the cloud, it, whether it's SaaS or function as a service or even containers as a service, those are all included. It, one of the ways I think about the, the question that you're asking is there's different consumption uh, cultures. So a classical IT consumption methodology is someone wants a three tier stack and they go to a ticket system, an ITSM system, and they issue a ticket. Actually someone builds it or maybe it's built automatically. And the policies and the security and even the data protection regime around that are applied by the IT organization based on policy. They rarely break those uh, policy issues. Uh, you have IT in the middle. There's a second deployment methodology where people just go directly to the cloud and they consume what they need and then they face the consequences later, whether it's the or the security audit or whatever. And then the third path, you know, SaaS. So uh, salesforce.com, Office 365. And when VM built that any cloud methodology, any app, any device, 
what we're looking to do is the needs of those three separate paths. How do we continue to make it easier for the IT organization to maintain policy before something is provisioned in that first path? Press policy gaps after something is provisioned in the native public cloud, RDS, Route 53, EC2, Azure SQL. How do we deal with cost and policy if the, the consumer, the developer, or the line of business just bypassed everything in IT and went directly to the public cloud? Um, and then the third path, how do we manage and broker cost and services if everything's in SaaS? So in the first path, that's where V Realize uh, and Tanzu fit in. V Realize mostly for virtual machines, Tanzu for containers and Kubernetes, where we can address policy issues before we provision or when we update an application, regardless of whether it's in the data center or in the public cloud. And the second path where the consumer has gone directly to the public cloud, that's where something like cloud health and security, even if I have a team that loves Azure and they do everything in native Azure services, I can still use cloud health and secure state to audit for cost, give me recommendations on how to tune for cost, or find compliance and security issues, again, after the fact, even if I didn't have an opportunity to fix the problem before. The last path, that's where Workspace ONE allows us to broker and manage these multiple spaced offerings so I can ensure the right people are accessing those SaaS offerings, um, additional services that maybe they're redundant. So I don't, I don't need uh, open office and and whatever other service I might uh, broker through the workspace one portal. Yeah. It's, so those three paths make a big difference. Right. And, and I feel like there's this, uh, the complex path of uh, that has dependencies on three different SaaS REST API services that are consuming from different cloud offerings. And then how do I make sure that my on-prem app that I'm building using these different uh, services actually stay functioning and I have a dashboard to be able to track some of that as well. So it's this concept of a mesh of service services I'm consuming from uh, SaaS services that I've, I've licensed, but I'm building a custom app that I'm offering up my user base, uh, you know, consuming these different SaaS offerings, as well as on-prem databases, on-prem, there's components that are on-prem, there's components that are SaaS services. Yeah. And I can decide if I want to actually host any of that in the cloud later, right? So yeah. it's, it is it is complicated to build this stuff well, out. Well, and I mean, we run into this all the time. Like everyone, everyone who's bought software um, as an IT organization hates that term single pane of glass because it implies something that's not true. There's no such thing as one ring to rule them all. So when I'm guiding facilities, I'll say, look, you may end up having to use, say, vRealize and Cloud Health and maybe even Workspace ONE, maybe even Tanzu, and don't feel like that's a duplicate functionality. They're built for different control points. So I may only right. have control in the public cloud after the fact. Uh, my consumption culture inside my organization might be people can just go what they get what they need and use what they want to use. Uh, the consumption culture might be very uh, regulatory driven. So I have to capture policy and make sure the app gets deployed. Well, that's going to be on the vRealize and Tanzu path. Be SaaS-based and that's where Workspace ONE fits in. Right. Uh, they can be complementary, but it depends where you have the control point. Um, 
because consumption is a continuum, right? You can have lots right. of control or you can have very little control. So, um, cool. yeah, so it's interesting, it's particularly the scenario that Eric pointed out, which is kind of reality for most customers. I think most uh, organizations today, because they're just working across multiple clouds is sort of, and uh, what you've been talking about, I think Robin is this idea that, you know, in a platform you need capabilities that sort of, you know, assume that it's not, it's not one cloud you're going to be using. You need to be able to function across all these things and sort of a, you know, a key element. And then also um, service ops, you know, that whole notion of, you know, the, you know, managing that, that element, that part of this multi-cloud capability that sort of provides access to people anywhere and, 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 you know, can deal with multiple endpoints being environments and then also the governance and automation of that. Uh, there's one other area that you mentioned um, and we talked about is sort of like a core element of this uh, platform and that's uh, AppOps. Maybe you can uh, talk a bit about that. Uh, in AppOps, obviously the app owner is a really critical stakeholder. Uh, the app has a bunch of inputs and outputs and the outputs are important to the app owner. They reflect the outcome that they're driving towards. So it could be running payroll. It could be processing orders. It could be running analytics on customer data or data. The, the app owner always cares about the outcome and they want to be able to trust the outcome and they want to be able to see what's going on. So that's app ops. I always think of app ops. It's less about the developer. That's a different cycle. Um, and we could talk about CICD separately. But I like to think about app ops from the perspective tell on this one. Uh, VMware has uh, an offering called Wavefront, and it is a time series database that does real-time analytics of behavior of applications, operations, network, ties it all together in real time. And what I think is compelling about that is, on one hand, it's very developer-centric because developers will build metrics into their applications so they can understand the application's behaving. But there's another angle on this. Uh, SpaceApe is one of our customers at Wavefront. And SpaceApe, you know, has an online gaming platform. And one of the capabilities is the heart of an app ops story. So if I'm a gamer and I sign up for a SpaceApe game and I'm paying on subscription for that game, there's two things that are really critical to me. Low latency, and I don't want to wait forever for my next level to load. And they use the predictive capabilities of the analytical machine learning engine inside of Wavefront. They built an app owner dashboard where the app owner who's making decisions about how to support and invest in the capabilities for the game at Space 8, uh, the dashboard would actually predictively show where latency got too high or the load times were too long, they would start to see a drop in subscriptions. So they knew in advance if they didn't address, you know, either uh, network or infrastructure capabilities or scale of the app, uh, they would see an, a drop of revenue. They could, and that's what I meant earlier on, how the public cloud providers have a huge advantage because they can see the few user experience prediction engine inside Wavefront for allowed them to ensure that their customers had a great experience make investments before it affected revenue and allow them to focus on other issues than just fighting fires. 
And that's AppOps, a good story of what it really means. It's not just about the developers or the support guys who are trying to address a problem. It's allowing you to get in ahead of issues uh, and ultimately drive the outcome that's important to the organization or the business. So we know what that mashup cloud capable platform looks like across these three areas. Um, maybe we can return to the idea of cloud as personal and talk about some of those archetypes and then how that intersects with this platform idea. Okay, uh, cloud is personal. So again, I, we have this framework uh, where we put up the top nine stakeholders in a cloud and in an example of you know different groups of stakeholders. Might be the code group, the developer, lease manager, or even the SRE. Or there might be a business focus group. They just care about business results or performance. And then the third category is, you know, the control group, meaning not like an experiment control group, but they want to maintain control. If they're going to enable consumption in the cloud, they need to maintain control like we talked about previously. So we have this model where we fill out these different personalities. And I, I first presented on this about a year and a half ago to a reasonably large customer in the Midwest United States. And I painted the picture of what matters to these other stakeholders outside of IT. And I'm walking through what matters. So the line of business cares about the outcome. Uh, the CISO cares about security. The finance team cares about being able to reach new markets and get some cloud savings. And they all have a very different view. Anyways, the audience through the stakeholder model, very simplified. It's, it's wait, stop right there. I'm like, okay, what? Um, that's why we failed. Well, tell me more about that. Well, we've done three build it and they will come cloud initiatives and no one came. <laughs> and this is like a common IT story where they spend a lot of money, a lot of evenings and weekends to coffee and they build these incredible capabilities, but no one uses them. And they said to us, you know, can we use this as our communication strategy? And I'm like, well, why? It's like, well, we never really work backwards from the what's in it for me perspective of these non-IT stakeholders. And so not only was the offering itself not well tuned to what they were looking for, these non-IT stakeholders, uh, we also had trouble merchandising and you know selling people on the value of this new private cloud. Uh, and some of their private clouds spanned into the public cloud as well. And so we go through an exercise in these workshops and these architecture sessions where we have a thought experiment, two thought experiments. The first thought experiment is what if you could say yes to every request in, that comes into the IT organization? The second thought experiment is what if you were building a cloud initiative or even a cloud-based service, who's your most frustrating obstacle stakeholder? Is it finance? the developers, the security team, who's really a burr under your saddle when you're trying to get things done? Well, let's obsess on the experience for that non-IT stakeholder. So yes to every request and address the objections from these people outside of IIT, too much talking. Um, then we have a credible cloud strategy. We're taking away the reasons to use public cloud that are just convenience-based. And we're being able to capture the performance and policy needs of these non-IT stakeholders and reflect them in how we provide services, and that's the core of building a cloud operating model 
the next stage after that discovery phase that we talked mm-hmm. about. So you're bringing those. together this these this broad base of capabilities that can function across multiple clouds, and so you can solve. It's you don't have to deal with cloud as a destination where you go. Well, you know, AWS doesn't that so we we can't do that or Azure doesn't do that or our private cloud doesn't do it. you're like you have a platform that's capable and then you tie it to the very specifically to these three groups of persona or archetypes which is those that think about you know everything from a code base standpoint from writing code or releasing code to those that are more business centric but focused on issues of performance and then that group of people in the enterprise that have to focus on control and governance, and you sort of leverage the capabilities of this multi-cloud platform across here, you're saying it's sort of like that becomes the replacement for cloud as destination. Absolutely. I, I, someone asked me in an elevator, you know, what's the future of IT? And I didn't really feel like I had a good answer. And I was like, well, the future of IT is discovering the policy elements that are important to your organization and making sure they are consistent regarding those. You need to create or cure, live in the public cloud or inside your environment. And you need to be able to broker, meaning add value. You have to do something above and beyond just running an app. And if you can do that as an IT practice, you have like job security forever. Developers are always going to be at the bleeding edge of the functionality. Uh, the operations teams, even in the best DevOps shops, are looking at it differently because the policy elements are, are a different headspace uh, than the yes, there's uh, security focused developers. What I'm trying to say though is if we have the ability for policy and model it in a way that we can apply it to and that really is the future of IT uh, and the heart of what a cloud operating model looks like in practice in most advanced mature organizations. Cool. Um, how about um, you know maybe you can give some examples, some scenarios. I think you have you have a few that really sort of this together, uh, sort of the persona view the, or the archetype view with the, um, with the operating model. Um, and that's probably a good place for us to go next. I know that that's a big part of your, uh, of your workshops. Okay. Let's take that example of that uh, discovery story that we're talking about earlier on. So I have, say I'm a, and I have some older data centers that I'm looking to consolidate into two or three uh, modern consolidated data centers. It's going to save a lot of money. Or maybe I need to take 20% of my workloads and put them in Azure because I've got an Azure uh, capability in my enterprise agreement and I'm not using it. Most CIOs who are faced with that mandate from their executives or even finance, they struggle to uh, perform that consolidation. And partly it's because the security teams go, look, if you don't know your last thing you want to do is take that and move it to a completely different endpoint, um, whether it's public cloud or your new super private cloud. Um, the network insight functionality that we talked about allows that CIO who's tasked with consolidating data centers and frustrated that they can't, you know, a mid-sized data center that was built 20 years ago and they're continuing to pay the rent on. Network insight allows you to discover that application, how it be behaves active policy. And what I mean by that is 
what are the policy elements that the application actually uses and are dependent on? It's very difficult to migrate applications or consolidate data centers when you're trying to not change a single thing. Or if you have, you know, the 4,000 rule bases, and but only 100 of them actually matter. And so Network Insight, in conjunction with some other tools like Operations or HCX, discover how that application behaves, create a loop around it, and make it self-contained, and migrate it to your new data center. Uh, we have functionality uh, that you'll see mid-year here, that data right now, where I can use Network Insight to capture the policy and discover the behavior of the app, and then HCX, which is our uh, functionality that allows you to move workloads between multiple clouds, whether it's vSphere or VMware Cloud on AWS, or even two vSphere environments. vRealize will take all that information on the behavior of the app and even recommendations how to make it more secure, and HCX will use that to migrate the application um, very easily. It's, it's stunning how easy it is this, and this is some of that hidden functionality. And then the best part of this, this is like, I, in some ways I don't like telling these stories because VMware's always been obsessed with vMotion because it's pretty cool, but everything's, oh, it's like vMotion. The, the hidden benefit of that story is everyone can provision a VM easily, but they usually end up work, waiting on network because that's where the risk is. Well, if I have visibility to all my network configurations and my security policy, whether it's in a physical device or a, a Cisco router, or even in the virtual environment, that changes the operational culture. Every mashup cloud also has a mashup network. And if I have that level of visibility, it, the platform gives me kind of a what if engine for, so if I know the impact of a network change and I can model out what it would actually look like in practice before I apply that change, that changes the operational. One of the things that we point out in the literature on this, uh, if you're familiar with the Phoenix Project written by Gene Kim, him and some other authors got together and built something called the DevOps Handbook. And it's really this you know, how-to guide on how, how, here's a shameless plug for someone else's book, the how-to guide on how to build out a functioning cloud or DevOps practice. And they point out early in the book that the most successful organizations are the ones that have shared responsibility between compute, network storage, and the network team and the compute team also have security responsibilities and vice versa, the data protection. The only way you're going to be successful going forward in the group with mashup clouds or the expectation of a cloud operating model is if you have shared responsibilities across your practice silos. Well, that's where the visibility comes in. Something like that or vRealize operations, if it gives me that level of visibility to both my current state and the impact of a change in the future, that's game changing. And I think it really allows the CIO to build out a, a completely different experience for the app owner uh, forward and obviously addressing issues like consolidating data centers. So we're probably coming up on time, uh, but, um... You know, I, I know there are a lot of different, you know, they're, they're in the workshop. Um, for people that 
you know, that want to learn more about uh, about this idea of cloud as personal and, and the, you know, the multi-cloud operating model, maybe there's some suggestions you have in terms of like how they can, can uh, do some of that. I go to the VMware blog site, so or even just type in cloud management. Uh, I have a series on the VMware cloud management blog. Uh, where we, we go. So we have one that's from the perspective of the developer. Uh, I have the story that I just went through on that visibility. It's like, you know, I'm phoning up IT, even though there's nothing wrong. How do we get in front of that prove innocence problem? Uh, we have another story on the, the network insight example. How do we have visibility to how these apps behave over the network? And how do we simplify the operating even that we usually have a mashup cloud or a mashup network? So on, on the cloud management blog, you can get walkthroughs. And we also link to product-specific uh, articles on how to do this, uh, some videos, and we'll have additional material on there as well. There's also blogs on cloud operating model, more from the people process side, as uh, links to what we've got uh, on the executive side on our Radius site. Cool. And I think, um, you know, um, you know, there's all, you know, there's all, Always uh, the opportunity to reach out to your representative and see, you know, investigate whether uh, uh, work. You know, I thought the the workshop you guys are delivering, as I mentioned, have the pleasure to sit through it is uh, is it's outstanding. Kirk, any uh, anything else you want to uh, no, catch up I, on? I, or? I, I think that there was only other one thing that it sounded great. I, I learned quite a bit just sitting listening. Both you guys were were really really good on the topic. Um, when, when we talk about IT practitioners um, and we talk about the way co companies are structured, we're seeing that there is the traditional on-prem IT organizations, and then there tends to be a separate cloud organization. Do you see successful places where you know these two organizations are coming together or there's crossover between one job role and the other job role? And what's best practice around that? A absolutely. And you'll, you'll see that in the book that I held up earlier. I, have you ever heard the quote, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast? Well, it's, this is why IT organizations often struggle to modernize. It's a quote that I really like, and that is, uh, execution eats culture for lunch. If we can help execute in that mashup cloud world, that will change the culture more than, uh, you know, a consulting exercise ever right, will. Right, right. And so the unifying piece for this often is policy or infrastructure as code where you can actually policy and build best practices into how you automate. And that combined with that discovery functionality changes the culture really quickly because teams are able to provide the visibility they couldn't before. They can deploy into multiple and policy and they can keep up with these cloud teams that didn't have the overhead of all the legacy apps. Excellent. Um, but one thing David said that I just want to mention quickly, if you are a VMware customer uh, or intend to be a VMware customer, feel free to reach out to your rep. We have two offerings. One's the Cloud Architecture Summit. These are done in person regionally. We've done about 40 in the last year. Uh, once uh, there's public travel and public gatherings available, we'll be doing that. But we also have a separate uh, event called the Cloud Ops, where we go through some of these topics and help our customers build a reference strategy. Some quick, you know, ready to eat use cases where you can try this out and see if it's for you and where the, the biggest benefit could 
possibly be. So that's the cloud ops briefing. Ask your rep about that. Uh, and then stay tuned, obviously, once we do more field events uh, and meetings. Right and then look for uh, additional blogs coming out as well, right? I think you're going to continue the series that you've been right. doing. All right. All right. Um, excellent. All right. Well, Robin Quirin, uh, let me spell that for everybody. If you want to search for his blog articles, uh, Robin, Q-U-E-R-I-N. Uh, you can go to blogs.vmware.com and search, and I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, Robin, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you, talk. Eric. Thanks, David. Good talking Good to you as always. Up. Looking forward to the next one. Good catch up, All right. Robin. Thank you very much. Everybody have a great day.